you have your Bibles, let's return once again to Romans. The book of Romans will be in the sixth chapter again today. My prayer is that as we work our way through this in-depth book, that we will learn more and more of not only who God is and who is He has revealed Himself to be within His Word, but also for the children of God to realize who we are in Christ to God the Father. And, and to come to a firm foundation of that, that, I believe that is what Paul is doing. That, it, that he's bringing people along within this letter, teaching them of who they are. No longer this man of Adam and death and sin. But for those who are born again in Christ, in Jesus, second man Adam, in Christ. And so today, let's read once again. I want to read the first 14 verses uh, from Romans, the sixth chapter. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So Romans 6, 1 through 14 to begin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Once again, dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. Perhaps most importantly, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now within our reading today, in, in verse 6, just put up verse 6. Paul introduces or uses the word slave. <clears throat> Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And today, I want us to consider what it means biblically to be a slave. Whether it be a slave to sin or a slave to to righteousness. Some of you who have been here for quite some time will realize and perhaps remember uh, when we started in the book of Romans, uh, we spent some time talking about this because Paul introduces himself in such a way. Um, 
in uh, Romans 1, 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now, I want to take the time. Uh, some translations, uh, in the midst of, of, of translating the Greek words, two Greek words, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar, I, I just go and I can read and I can I can learn these things. I I can go to a Greek concordance. I can look. Uh, many interpretate the Greek word doulos and doulo as servant rather than slave. And uh, the King James version is one of those versions that, that does that. I love the King James version, but in this case, I believe it weakens the depths of what Paul is trying to convey. In referring to himself in that first verse, Paul, a bondservant, doulos, it means slave. And Paul is not the only one of the, the gospel writers or, or the uh, writers in the New Testament that, that referred to themselves as slave. Look in Second uh, Peter, first chapter, first verse. Simon Peter, a bondservant, doulos, slave. An apostle of Jesus Christ. In James 1 1. James, a bondservant, doulos, a slave. And you may think, what's the big deal? Preacher, you're making a big deal out of something. What's the difference between a servant and a slave? And again, we looked at this some two and a half years ago. But is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, it is. Because when I went back and looked at my old notes, I was overwhelmed considering the difference. And while it is true that the duties of a servant and a slave may overlap to some degree, there are key distinctions between the two. And I want to just go over a few of those this morning. And perhaps the greatest difference and the most important difference is this. Servants are hired. Slaves are owned. Servants are hired. Slaves are owned. A servant worked for a wage. They had an element of freedom in deciding who they would work for. They could quit. They could move on to work for another. They maintained a level of freedom and personal rights. But a slave was owned. A slave had been purchased. And even as I say that, I pray that in the minds of you born-again believers, there are verses that's come into your mind even as I say that. The slave had no rights of their own. To be considered someone's slave was to be their personal possession. They were bound to obey their master's will without hesitation or argument. The slave could not quit. If they tried to run away, they were pursued, captured. They were brought back. Is there verses coming to your mind as I'm saying all this? And perhaps they were punished and would suffer the consequences for their attempting to leave. Let me do this. Let's go back and consider the Roman slave market for a moment. Perhaps you've watched a movie or even a Christian film that, that depicted Roman times Perhaps in the midst of one of those, it it showed a slave market. Just in your mind, if you can picture these ones who are getting ready to be led up before the crowd and put in a line to be auctioned off, to be bought. What part did the slave play In this scenario. What rights, what choices did they have? None. None. 
The slaves did not choose their masters. The slaves were just things, mere objects, which could be bought or sold without any say-so on their part. And I understand that there'll be some who listen to this sermon, this is going to be very offensive, and I understand that. Because we've talked about the gospel is an offense, is it not? In the Roman slave market, decisions regarding the slave's future rested solely in the hands of the purchaser, not the one being sold. In the same manner, I believe the Bible teaches that God has chosen His slaves by His own sovereign electing choice. And here's where I would have theological debate with many. In fact, He elected them to be His slaves before they were born and even before the world began. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Whose purpose and grace? God's, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? You read it. Say it out loud. Before time began. We were chosen. We were purchased at a great price, were we not? 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 21, or through 20. Perhaps this is a verse that you were thinking about as I was leading up to this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What was the price, child of God, for our redemption? Jesus Christ. The death of God's only begotten Son, Ephesians 1, 7. How about if we let Paul say it this way? In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace is through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want us to really think about this this morning. He purchased us. Can you grasp that? Let me me go back to the slave market illustration. If a purchaser was there, the slaves are lined up, and he was considering to make a purchase, would they not look for positive character and physical traits within those ones who were there? If you were purchasing a slave to work in the fields, would you not be looking at their their stature? Would you not be looking at their health? Would would you not be looking perhaps at their age? You you would be looking at all these physical things uh, uh, in in trying to determine uh, if they would be one that you would purchase. Did God do that? Before He purchased you. He chose His slaves with full knowledge of their failures and weaknesses. While we were yet sinners. Look in 1 Corinthians, 1st chapter, verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians, 1st chapter, 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Child of God, God chose you to salvation and chose me for salvation in spite of ourselves. Saving us not because of our goodness. Not because there was anything about us whatsoever that would have deemed us worthy of Him. It's all according to His eternal purposes and for the sake of His glory. In Titus 3, verses 4-7. through 7. Titus 3, 4-7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In John 15, 16, Jesus told His disciples this, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He shall give you. I know He was talking to that inner circle of those, but I believe this applies to us as well. He chose us. He's appointed us. And He's appointed every born-again believer that we might bear fruit. Jesus said, you will know them how? By their fruit. And that your fruit should remain and remain and remain and remain till the end. You want to know the ultimate evidence of if someone is truly saved? They will persevere to the end. Fruit will remain. Chosen by God to be a slave of righteousness, a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, Peter, James were not ashamed to call themselves a slave of Jesus Christ and their aim, their goal was to please their master, their Lord. Paul said this in Galatians 1 verse 10. Or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant, do lost slave of Christ. Now today, I want to do this. I want us to go into the second half of Romans chapter 6. Beginning at verse 15. Paul uses the word doulos and doulo eight times. Meaning slave or enslaved. He uses it eight times from verse 15 through 22. So let's read. <clears throat> 15 and 16 to begin, Chase. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? See, it's the same question that, that Paul asked rhetorically back in verse 1, is it not? And we have the same answer. Certainly not. May it never be. How could you even say such a thing? How could you even consider such a thing if you're truly born again? Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Let me pause. Now, the, the, again, the New King James translates Dulos as slave that the KJV, King James, a servant. Can you get the gravity of the difference in a statement such as this? 
So I pray that we will understand better and better of who we once were and now as being born again of who we are before God through Christ Jesus our Lord as we dig deeper into this. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, who's your master? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. One is either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. There is no middle ground. Everyone on the face of this planet is a slave. (laughs) How politically incorrect is a statement such as that? It's true. But it's true. One is either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Everyone on the face of this planet has one master. It's either our Lord, or it's yet the devil. There's no other choice. We're either a slave to one or a slave to the other. One leading to death and one leading to righteousness and eternal life. Paul in Romans 6 wasn't just saying that a believer should try to be a slave to righteousness, but that every Christian, by divine creation, having been born again, is made to be a slave of righteousness and cannot be anything else. That's who we are if we're in Christ. A new creation. We have become something that never was. We were a man or a woman of Adam, dead in sin, dying with him. Or, we have been raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. That's our identity, one or the other. By divine creation, having been born again, We are made to be a slave of righteousness and cannot be anything else. And the same is true of those who are slaves of sin. Apart from a miracle of mercy, apart from a quickening of the Holy Spirit, apart from being resurrected from their spiritual deadness, they are what they are and can be nothing else. Apart from Christ, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all darkness. Can I read Ephesians 2, first three verses one more time? Let's read it again today. And you, He made alive. And here's who we were. Every child of God here, every born-again believer, this is who you were. Dead in trespasses and sins. And when you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. The natural man, the man of Adam, born of Adam, child of wrath. Spiritually dead. Our master was the devil, the prince of the power of the air, who is still at work in the sons of disobedience. Spiritually dead, blinded to the light of the gospel of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Child of God, in compassion, that should grab you right there. There are many, millions and millions and millions on the face of this planet, and they're perishing. They are even now, even as they're walking 
around in this flesh on this earth, they're children of wrath. And apart from a miracle of mercy, they will stand before God and face His wrath and judgment. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind, the God of this age, is blinded. Always have compassion for the lost, knowing full that well that, but for the grace of God, that would be you still yet. Whose mind, the God of this age, is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I love that lyric to that one we sing, uh, the song, the, the line that goes, Born of the Spirit, now I can see all of the treasure He's given to me. Before, when I was darkness, there was no treasure. There was nothing there that I desired. I didn't want to hear. It was all foolishness. It was all just a story. But then one day, light came, the Spirit came, the truth of God was revealed. And then born of the Spirit, now I could see. <laughs> but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. They can't. They can't. So, so don't be surprised when you're trying to witness to someone who is lost and, and the reactions you may get, don't be surprised. And don't try to manipulate things. Just share the truth. Share the truth. Because it's not by your persuasive words that anyone comes to Christ. But it's by the working of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word in God's timing, and in His way. Yes, we come along. Yes, we sow seed. Yes, we water. Yes, we do these things. But who gives the increase? It's God. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. 1 Corinthians first chapter, verse 18. Here, here it is all the more. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. But I like the next part. But to us who are being saved, Kevin mentioned it last week. You know, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved all the more someday when I stand in front of God Himself. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. <laughs> I thank the Lord for the, the redeemed the message of the cross is not foolishness. That for the born again believer, the message of the cross has become the power of God unto salvation. Aren't you thankful? No longer a slave of sin and death, but of righteousness and eternal life. Now, does this mean that once we're saved that we are perfect and never sin? No, no, no. Uh, while, while we're still walking on this earth in this old fleshly body, we are prone to wonder, come thou found. Prone to wonder, prone to leave. To try to leave. Aren't you thankful we have a good shepherd that won't leave us to ourselves? That he will go after the one who has strayed and bring them back. Every time. He knows His sheep. He knows them. I, I, I want to address this, this thought of, of perfection one more time. 
I, I think it's important. Let's go to 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10. So many people have a misunderstanding of what these verses mean. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Now I'll pause right there. And, and for many of you, I've talked about this throughout the years, and perhaps I talked about this a few weeks ago. I've heard people say this, and I've had that conversation with them. They say, well, I'm born again, and I do not sin, because the Word of God tells me so. And they'll go right there. Whoever is born of God does not sin. See, there it is. I don't sin. Oh, really? Well, I make mistakes. You know, you can get them. They, they will they will do a word around. I don't know if you've ever been where you've talked to someone like this. They will they will come up with a word around to to be able to justify in some way because and it's all because they have a false understanding of what scripture is saying here. They believe that a Christian, once born again, never stumbles, never lapses into momentary sin. And we've talked about that. The Greek word for does not, or in the King James Version, does not commit, is a Greek word poeo, which means a prolonged, continuous action to practice. It's your practice of sin. I didn't put the NASB in there, Chase, but I'm just going to read it. It says, this is the NASB version of that First uh, John 3, 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. You see the difference? See the difference? A continued action. I believe when I talked about this, uh, we no longer make sin our permanent dwelling place. Temporary sinful disobedience may at times appear to dominate a Christian's life, but a true believer cannot continue indefinitely in disobedience. If they do, what's its an e- what, what is that an e- evidence of? What does it bear witness of? That they were never saved. How can you who have died to sin continue in it any longer? Paul is saying over and over in Romans. But the good shepherd will come. Moreover, who has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. In other words, sin will not be their practice of life. Why? Because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Manifest, made known, made evident. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So what's it talking about? It's talking about your practice. It's talking about the life you live. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're made visible. They're made apparent because their practice of life will either be of sin or of righteousness. And it will be made evident by their practice of life. In 1 John 1 verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See, we can say all manner of things. But what's the evidence of the life we're living? 1 John 2 verse 4. He who says, yeah, I I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. Does our practice of life matter? Yes. Yes, it does. Enormously. For the unbeliever, their practice of life bears witness that they are yet a slave to sin. But for the born-again believer, our practice of life will be toward righteousness and holiness. Our former life of being a slave to sin is past. Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. 
in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Child of God, that's who we are now in Christ. We will stand before God the Father clothed in a robe of righteousness, not of our own, but an imputed robe of righteousness from Jesus Christ. And we'll stand before God the Father blameless, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done. In Christ, we have been forever changed. Amen? Forever changed. For all of eternity changed. Let's read the rest of Romans 6. Here's here's what I ask. Fight the good fight of faith, even while you're sitting there. Is, Is there anything more glorious than to read from this? So I I pray, fight the good fight of faith, even as you're sitting and you're listening. Let your mind be centered. Let your mind be focused on Him and the things above. It's on the sign out there, isn't it? What what, what does it say on that one side? Uh, Something to the effect of what Kevin preached last Sunday. Set your mind on things above. So even right now, set your mind firmly planted, I'm going to listen to what the Lord says in His Word. Let's read Romans 6, 17-23. Let's see where the Lord takes us in our remaining minutes. But God be thanked! <laughs> There's verses that ought to grab you, and this is one of them, child of God. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. (laughs) Paul, Paul's great. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Let me, I'll pause there just for a moment. What's he talking about? The things, spiritual things were foolishness to you. You were free from all that. There was no guilt. There was no nothing there. You were free to just go on and be a happy pagan and everything else was just foolishness to you. That's what he's talking about. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, What fruit did you have then in the things in which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once a slave to sin, sin and death, but now in Christ, eternal life and righteousness. Again, a person is either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or they're a slave to God, to Jesus Christ and righteousness leading to eternal life. God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Let's drop down to Colossians, the first chapter, verses 13 and 14. Let's read this again. (laughs) God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And then Paul says in Colossians 1, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. He's transferred us from the region of sin and death to the region of life and righteousness. From death to life, from darkness to light, from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. That's redeeming love, is it not? 
even as I'm going through this, I know there would be some people who would listen to this sermon and say, look, that may be all well and good for you, but I ain't nobody's slave. And don't you try to tell me I am. I understand that. But listen, you want to be a slave of righteousness. You should want to be. But you are blinded. For, for the child of God, understand this. We're, we're all this talk about slave and slave and slave. Understand this. For the one who is a, a slave to God, we're not only just a slave. If I can say this, but we are family. We've been adopted. Slave to sons and daughters. Joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Born of the Spirit. The natural man has not the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. Nothing. But as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Born again believer, we are His child forever. 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 What did Jesus say? John 10. Let's read these once again. Just to make sure we understand. Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Who's this talking about? It's talking about those who are born again. It's talking of the redeemed. The sheep that's in the fold of His pasture. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them... <laughs> What's He give us? Eternal life. Not life until I mess up and He casts me out because I messed up no loving father the good shepherd will deal with a misguided child in a loving way and bring them back and restore them and i give them eternal life and they shall never what perish we we, we talked of that word quite a bit earlier but for the born again, for the child of God, we shall never perish. Neither shall anyone, what? Snatch them out of my hand. Do you believe that? Yes. I believe this is one of the things that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across over and over and over again. Know who you are, child of God. Know who you are in Christ. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Well, preacher, you're talking about once saved, always saved. I guess I am. The evidence that you are saved is that you will persevere. The evidence that you're truly saved is that you will bear the fruit of righteousness. That your practice of life will be toward holiness. And for those who are truly saved, nothing can snatch us out of His hand. Who is greater than God? No one. That should give us great security. Oh, well now I can sin that grace may abound. Certainly not. How can those who have died to sin live in it any longer? Do you see? 
This is what Paul was dealing with. Well, if, I, if I'm saved and, and nothing can take me out of his hand, I'll, I'll just sin so that grace may abound. Certainly not. If that's your attitude, you're not saved. You cannot have an attitude such as that. Preacher, don't tell me. I'm a good person. Oh, really? Romans 3, verse 10. There, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. See, this is foundational things that Paul was laying down as we've worked our way through chapter 3, 4, 5, and are now into chapter 6. In Romans 3.23, you know this, for all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Every person born on the face of this planet, save Jesus Christ, born into sin, slaves of sin. Because Jesus was not born of, of Adam, of the seed of Adam. He was born of what? The seed of God. That's, that's why the virgin birth is so important. You, you see that. He was not a child of Adam. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God the Father in mercy and love has provided a rescue for sinners. God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and there's the rescue, Jesus Christ. Jesus died to pay the debt, the wage, the cost of sin for all who would by faith believe and receive Jesus Christ. That while we were yet serving our old master, Satan, Christ Loved me, child of God, loved you, and he purchased us away from our old master. So where are you at today? Do you know that you're saved? What do you mean saved? Well, I mean that you are saved from the wrath of God that will one day come and fall upon all unbelievers. Are you saved from that? Romans 10, verses 9-13 through 13, That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from wrath. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the Scripture says... Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe? Are you saved? In John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. In John 3, you know these verses 14 through 18. Let's read them once again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Why would Jesus have to be lifted up on the cross? To pay the debt of sin that we could not pay. That is why verse 15 says that whoever believes in Him should not perish. There's that word again. Should not perish, but rather, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. They're part of the perishing. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Don't be among the perishing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray.
that, that even now, in, in the midst of this group, in the midst of someone who may be listening to this sermon at a later time, that Father, should there be one who is yet lost, who is yet in their sin, who are yet perishing without Christ. I pray, Father, that You would do a miracle that only You can do. That, Father, that by the truth of Your Word and by the power of Your Spirit, Lord, that You would breathe on them. Breathe on them life. Lord, just as, just as You, through Christ, called to Lazarus, called him out of his deadness, out of that tomb, Lord, Call, call with an effective call that they would be raised to newness of spiritual life. And Father, I pray that by Your Spirit, and again, the truth of Your Word, as You shine light into darkness, Father, that You would grant them repentance as as they would see themselves as a, as a sinner before most holy God. And Lord, as, as, as you would let your truths just, just wash over them to all the truths that they've heard of who you are and of who they are as a sinner. And Lord, I pray that you would grant them repentance as they cry out to you. I pray that you would grant them faith that they might believe and receive Christ. Father, as you call them your own, as you bring them into the realm of the true living. So, Father, have mercy, I pray. And Lord, for us who are born again, Lord, help us to know the depths of what that means, that, that we have been saved, that, that, that we have been made your slave. And that we should rejoice in that. So Father, give us rock-solid faith that we might stand regardless of circumstances of life that may try to come and to knock us down. But that we could stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. That we could always, always, always turn our gaze back to You regardless of what may have tried to distract us. Lord, help us that we would always quickly, quickly turn our gaze back to You and rejoice that we know You, that we know Christ, that we know saving grace and the power of the resurrection. So Father, help us, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.